Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Steve King and Johnny Putman at WGN Radio. Okay, the credits are starting to roll. And you're seeing this montage of a ton of Marvel superheroes. Those of you who are watching that have your Zitzen plug connected to your radio so you can see the the visuals. And you can see Steve sweating, too, because he gets so excited. He breaks out in a sweat. (laughs) Well, and, and I will put a disclaimer. Now we're... We're kind of segueing into the, yeah, this could be real geeky stuff part of the show, and I'm good with that, and uh, Brian is good with that, because we get to talk to a guy who uh, Johnny and I have been fortunate enough to have in the studio with us previously. Mm-hmm. He is a legendary artist. Uh, he has been responsible for the covers of things like Kingdom Come and Marvels, and uh, he's just, I mean... He, he defines what is good art, good comic book art, uh, and I'm just geeking out because... <laughs> so let me just say, yeah. he's a local boy, too. He is Alex Ross. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on WGN. Oh, thank you for having me. So Steve is geeking out. Yes, he did when we got your book, your new book. And let's start there, because this is something different for you, isn't it? This new book is, in fact, your artwork, but you also wrote the book, Fantastic Four, Full Circle, right? That's right. And part of what's different is that it's more traditional comic style, pen and ink, instead of my painted style. And your painted style, is that called photorealistic, where it just looks like the picture's going to speak to you, it's so real? That's the intent, yeah. It works. I got to tell you, I don't have to read comics to pick it up and go, dang, that's good. After all all this time, what made you decide to do this kind of a project? And I got to tell you, I was geeking out on a number of levels. A, I love your work. B, it is so rare for you to do this kind of a, yeah, I'm doing the cover, but I'm also doing, I'm drawing this book. Uh, And I... I was geeking out at some of the nods to Jack Kirby and some of the the previous artists that have worked with Marvel that you, you threw into the book. What made you decide to do this? Well, a lot of it is that connection to Jack Kirby, wanting to somehow represent his work in a way that ties to mine a bit better than through the filter of my painted style. So if I change my work to be a bit more reflective of what was the kind of work in his heyday of the 1960s, where you don't have the option of painted color, um, it also reflects a bit more of the decade that gave birth to the Fantastic Four. So I'm trying to tap into that era. And one of the many things that I love about this is the, the kind of artwork that you did here is the kind of thing that makes me go back because, okay, down in the right-hand corner, I'm seeing this little little uh, uh, Easter egg thing. I mean, there, there's tons of, of things that you find just looking at one of these full-page panels that just blew my mind. 
No, thank you. Um, yeah, I know. With me, there's always going to be stuff stuffed in to see what I could get past the censors. So. <laughs> Well, we're talking about the here and now, and and Alex Ross's new book is available. You can get it at comic book stores if it's still in stock, because I I understand it's flying off the shelves. You can also get it through Amazon. We're going to take a quick break and come back. That's the here. We're going to take you back so you can get to know who Alex Ross is, taking you back to really as he became a rock star in the comic world. About 1990, so stay with us here on WGN. But let's check out this glorious weather and what's going on the roads with Mary. Steve King and Johnny Putman in for Lisa Dent. And that hero-like music. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you you may notice those of you who have your zits and plugs connected. You may notice that uh, I am wearing my cape, and I'm wearing lycra. But then I yeah. always wear lycra. Yes. So, so. <laughs> we're, we're talking with uh, comic <laughs> artist extraordinaire Alex Ross, who has a brand new book out. And Alex, I want to take people back to the beginning for you. I said it started around 1990. Is that right? 1990. 89. Okay, 89. Did you always think when you were a kid that this is what you were going to do as an adult? Oh yeah. Yeah, this was my passion from pretty much as soon as I started drawing anything, and a lot of that was reflecting watching Spider-Man on the Electric Company. Oh, that sweet image. <laughs> Did, now, you went to school here in Chicago, not the Art Institute, but... The American Academy of Art. Because they were more inclined, they had a, a kind of a reputation for helping you get in the business, isn't that correct? Well, not necessarily my business, but in particular to commercial art, oh. arts. Uh, jobs that pay people to draw things and for things to look like things, whereas fine art is really the application of the Art Institute. Mm -hmm. Did you work at Leo Burnett at one point here in Chicago? I did. That was my first job right out of school, and I was there for three and a half years while I did freelance to ultimately break over into comics. And they were weeping as you walked out the door and said, I'm going to be a comics artist, (laughs) right? I, I don't recall that, but, uh, you know, I was treated very well while I was there. Yeah. Was there a moment when you, you, the light bulb went off and you realized, not only do I like doing this, but, yeah, I'm going to be able to make a living doing this? Well, that was nice to have a job that I was doing full-time doing illustration, so at least I knew the other side of things where I get paid to draw things for a living, but comics was the thing I really wanted, the subject matter I wanted to draw, and of course storytelling where you get to create some of your own material and craft the stories, craft these things out of passion. That was where my mind was always at my whole life, so uh, I was able to bridge that through the time spent getting paid for a day job while also doing uh, mm. the, the, the freelance that I did in comics before then. What was the first character that really made you like a household name as a comic artist? Ooh, boy. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, I get mostly associated with Superman because mm-hmm. of the time I spent with him through Kingdom Come and with other solo projects. Um, but as far as what I pursued to really make a mark visually, when I was 20 back in 1990, I was 
focusing on making a pitch to Marvel, and that would eventually lead to the series Marvels. And I thought that my painted approach would be most highlighted by doing something you couldn't imagine until you saw it, saw it done with realistic lighting, and that was the character of the Human Torch. Mm -hmm. So bringing that to life with rendering that looked like flame, and I studied flame, I set some things on fire and photographed it, and then, you know, tried to replicate what I was looking at, um, making that look like something more literal than the abstraction of ink lines was a connection that hadn't quite occurred yet in publishing before. How, how do you feel when sometimes you, you're watching, whether it's a, a Marvel movie or a DC movie, and you see that they have taken something that you created, a, a, a panel, and they're trying their best to, to replicate this on the big screen? What, that, that's got to make you feel like, wow. Uh, sometimes. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and other times, like, ah, oh, they didn't get that right. Yeah, there's. I'm too invested. I mean, there's such a range of this stuff now because it's been happening for years. And sometimes I'd feel like, well, I know that's my either image or, or general composition that's being adapted, and that's okay, but sometimes it would let me down how much they altered the core design of the character, who wouldn't necessarily be my design, but something where they take it to the next level and I don't connect with it as much. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you about the Fantastic Four Full Circle. Whose idea was that? I mean, did Marvel come to you and say, okay, uh, here's this idea, or was this all all your idea? How did this happen? Well, I was looking to contribute something to the Fantastic Four uh, because they hadn't been publishing it for a few years. They kind of stopped publishing it by choice of they wanted to starve out Fox for owning the film rights, and so they were not going to support the the book with any new publishing until they got those rights back. And the way they eventually got those rights back is they just bought Fox. Yeah. Wow. And And can I pause you here for a second? For people who are new to these conversations, this goes back years and years and years to what, to probably the 60s or early 70s when Marvel first got into the movie business and they signed contracts with all kinds of people that kind of took away the rights to their own characters. Yeah, they were, they had very bad direction in the way that they had made these deals. And that's the reason why you look back at the entire decade of the 90s and wonder where are the Marvel movies? Why weren't there things happening in that time period? And that's because they had made all these terrible deals. And so it took a long time for them to consolidate a lot of those things back into their control. And still certain things like they don't control Spider-Man completely. Sony has done so well with the property that it still is technically their control for all featuring of the character in uh, film and, and television, I believe. So they have to kind of coordinate with them. But with Fox, it was proving to be a lot more... Uh, of a conflict and of course they wanted the x-men back which fox had Hmm. but the fantastic four was not a successful film franchise for fox and marvel just decided you know we need this back you're not doing anything good with this Hmm. give it back to us and so they tried to starve them out and in that period of time i pitched a graphic approach for 
how they should maybe do the book when it could come back into publishing. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to my book eventually coming into being. And again, as I said, the book is, is readily available now. Unless you go into a comic shop, you might have to ask them to order yeah. it for you. Do you do art every day, Alex? Well, I take the weekends off, which usually means about one day. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, generally, yes, I do. Well, and, and as I understand, you're still using real people as some of your models in your work, right? Somewhat. Yeah. I use a lot of old photos, but these days, a lot of times, I base it base my work on dolls. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, that's a subject for another day. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. We've enjoyed your book. We've always enjoyed following you. Your work is amazing and, and i can't wait till the next time we can get you in the studio yeah i, I will ask if you uh, partly personal I, i'm going to put you on hold but can you hang on and talk to our producer brian uh off the air because brian's kind of out of his mind that you're on the radio today Bri- so. brian and i are the comic <laughs> the resident comic geeks of the radio station so uh if you could say boo brian and, and alex thank you so thank much you. it's always terrific to talk to you we're going to break for news and it's next with steve bertram from the northwestern medicine newsroom excelsior WGN.